This is Truth and Focus, your radio program for worldview talk and issues that matter, with Josh Cumston and Gordon Teeson, broadcasting from the studio at Nebraska Christian Schools. Welcome to Truth and Focus. I'm Gordon Teeson, along with my co-host, Josh Cumston. Today at the chapel for Nebraska Christian Schools, we had Jeff Randell from Hidden from View Ministries. Jeff, welcome to the program today. Thank you, Gordon. It's good to have you in chapel. The students appreciate your message. Before we get into that, I would like to visit with you a little bit about your ministry. Could you help our listeners know what your ministry is and what you're trying to accomplish? For the last year and a half, full-time, and the 13 years prior to that, God has called us to steward Hidden from View Ministries, which is a ministry where we speak to youth and parents and also partner with churches in the area of dating and relationships and also are able to teach basic parenting principles to those parents so that we can see changes in homes. We've found that there continues to be a disconnect between students and their parents in many areas, especially in the area of dating and relationships. And we have a story that we share about how God brought my wife and I together that is counter the culture in in almost every way possible. And so we don't buy into the lie that youth have to go through the pain and emotional suffering that's in dating as the world teaches it, but that the Bible lays out principles where we can walk together with parents and students in finding a potential godly mate should God have them to be married. Good. Jeff, your your message today, you brought with it a really unique recent experience that you had had, and can you just kind of explain the process of how you came to use that passage, and when was it? I mean, was it immediately that that passage came to mind through your recent experience, and how you've really just used that in your own life to wrestle with or to chew on that that part of Scripture? I have found in my life that God continues to bring me to a point of surrender in my heart, particularly in an area of my heart, perhaps where I have an idol, or that is not yet surrendered to Him. I'm so thankful for God's gift of sanctification that He continues to pursue me. And through this health scare, I was laying in the hospital, and I believe God impressed upon my heart the verse from Philippians 1, 21, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Of course, Paul is claiming his identity in Christ here, that no matter what, whether he is dead and with Christ, it is a blessing, or whether Christ calls him to continue serving him in his earthly ministry, in this context, especially to the Philippians, it's also unto Christ. And so he then, in the verses that follow, explains that and walks that out, even though he says that his preference is to die. I know that God allowed me to live and for a very particular purpose, and I pray that that would just glorify him no matter what it ends up being. If you're interested in contacting Jeff and the complete story, you can go to hiddenfromview.com. But now let's listen to today's chapel message with Jeff. I do want to talk to you about your identity today because of something God did in my life just four weeks ago. Many of you know my wife and I because we share a story 15 years ago of how God brought us together as husband and wife. But I want to talk about something that God did just recently to literally save my life. Let's pray. God, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for these students and faculty who are here. I'm so blessed to be here to share your word this morning. I'm, I'm humbled, not worthy. I pray that you would help me in my weakness this morning to open your word and proclaim it accurately. Thank you for the words from Paul that we will consider this morning for identity. I thank you for Paul himself and how he identified himself completely in you. 
I pray that for myself and for these young people and staff. I long for it. Help me, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you open your Bibles with me today to Philippians chapter 1, I want to read a short passage from Paul's writing here. Remember that the context is that Paul is imprisoned at this time. He's writing a letter of thanksgiving and prayer to the Philippians, the church in Philippi, because he's grateful. Now, the major difference between Paul and I this morning, I'm not imprisoned. I'm not being persecuted. And yet, look at his focus as he opens the first chapter of Philippians. I'm specifically going to read from verse 18, but consider that Paul has already laid a foundation of accolade and thanksgiving for the Philippians. He's asking them for prayer for himself, and he is so grateful for them. He recognizes the good work in these people, and he longs for the day that it's brought to completion. And it's with that basis that he begins a section that's titled in my Bible, To Live is Christ. And it's the end of verse 18 and the beginning of verse 19 where he says, Yes, and I will rejoice. Of course, here he's rejoicing that Christ would be proclaimed. His focus is Christ and Christ only, not his own identity, not his own giftings, not his ability to to preach the word of God, but, but right here he's rejoicing that Christ and Christ alone would be proclaimed. Verse 19, For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. Remember, the context is prison. As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body whether by life or by death. Verse 21, For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. That verse, it's a common verse. Most all of us would know that verse that Paul says, For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. I never realized in my life how real that verse would become. Four weeks ago, I had a common procedure, knee surgery. I tore my meniscus. Some of you athletes know about that, maybe. And so I had a knee scope. And the surgery went well. And I was on recovery, on crutches. I gave myself a goal of a week to get off of my crutches so that I could have another five days to get my knee rehabbed because I was leaving on a plane for Chicago two weeks after that surgery to get some training in social media and filmmaking. And so that was my plan. So a week after the surgery, I was able to get off my crutches and was walking around, and my calf was sore, but I thought, yeah, you know, I haven't been using that leg so much. It's sore. That's unusual, but I can work through it. That was a Tuesday. On Wednesday, I woke up and noticed that my heart rate was unusually fast for having just gotten out of bed, so I timed it, and it was about 85 beats per minute. Normally, my heart rate's pretty low, almost that I'm dead, but still living, And so I just thought, well, I'm getting back in shape and have been laying around for some time. I also noticed, however, that to walk across the room 20 feet was a major task. And I felt like I had just run four miles. Ignoring it, I thought, it will go away or I'll just go to Chicago, come back, and then I'll get this addressed. Thursday, things got much worse. 
I could barely walk up a flight of stairs without having to sit down for five minutes to let my heart rate catch up and get my breath. And you might even notice me right now kind of breathing a little bit heavy. So Friday, I decided, I suppose I will call for help. So I called a physician's assistant and I said, listen, I'm kind of having some shortness of breath. I forgot to mention it to you yesterday when I got my stitches out, but I'm a little concerned. And she said, yeah, you should probably see a doctor sooner than later. I said, okay, doesn't sound like an emergency. Does not sound like impending doom or death. So I will continue on with my plans. That Saturday night, before I was to leave on the plane for Chicago, we were invited over to a friend's house for supper. Another couple was also coming over, and we were going to talk about an adoption summit that we had recently attended, learning about adoption. That Saturday morning, the wife of my friend called to confirm those plans, and she said, how are you guys doing? And I said, well, we're okay, but I can just hardly breathe. She said, well, what's that all about? And I said, I don't know. For the last two and a half days, I have just been short of breath and Simple tasks are very difficult, and she said, well, I'm going to tell my husband about that. Her husband was a doctor, a surgeon, and I said, don't bother him, I'll tell him tonight. And she said, no, I'll mention it to him, and if he's concerned, he can call you. Five minutes later, my friend called me, and he said, what are your symptoms? I said, a shortness of breath the last two and a half days. I can just barely walk across the room and have to sit down. And he said, when did you have your surgery? I said, about a week and a half ago, almost two weeks. And he said, I'm coming to your driveway. I'm picking you up and I'm taking you to the ER right now. I said, surely that's not necessary. And he said, this is a first year medical school diagnosis. You have a pulmonary embolism, which means that you have a blood clot that formed in your leg. Your calf was cramping because it was moving. It went into your heart and it split and is most likely now lodged in your lungs. You are a walking time bomb, and we're going to the hospital. No options. So I walked upstairs, and I said to my wife, I'm going to the ER. And she said, why? And I said, well, apparently I have this PE thing. So my friend picked me up, drove to the hospital. I bypassed 20 people who were already there, and within minutes was in a wheelchair taken to a room, hospital gown, EKG, IV, and heading for a CT scan. You see, everyone in the ER knew what I really didn't know, and that was that my labored breathing was because there was no oxygenated blood going to my body. And so I laid in the CT tube, and they inject you with that wonderful dye that makes you feel really strange all over, and I was wheeled back to the ER room that I had entered. The doctors kind of always talk about what's going on with you as if you're not there, like in the hallway. It's like some kind of confidential place, but you can really hear everything that's going on. And so I was sitting there listening, and my friend doctor who stayed with me was talking to the ER doctor, and they said, have you seen this CT scan? This is the largest blood clot we've ever seen. He is on less than 25% lung function and is going to be admitted to the hospital immediately. Now, you see... This was not my plan. Even to the point where when my friend came back in, I was willing to argue being admitted to the hospital. And, you know, they start all these dripping medicines, and you're getting poked with all these needles, and it just disrupted my day. Before my friend called me, I had my suitcase in hand. I was finishing up some home improvement projects, and now I'm laying in the hospital hoping that I will live. 
Later, I asked my friend, did you embellish this story? I mean, did you, were you kind of trying to scare me so I wouldn't get on that airplane? I mean, what would have happened if I had just gotten on that airplane? And he said, well, the reality is, is that tomorrow you're not getting on an airplane. But had you, you would have most likely been dead over Iowa. Because they pressurized the cabin of an airplane for 8,000 feet. Because of your lack of oxygen, you would have had that much less oxygen. Imagine being healthy and hiking a trail at 8,000 feet. And now imagine not having any blood with oxygen in it at that elevation. If you would have made it to Chicago, pretty unlikely, they would have landed, you would have gotten an ambulance, and you would have spent three or four days in the hospital in Chicago and then had to have driven home. And so my reality changed as they wheeled me into fifth floor and I got transferred over into this bed and realized that I'm going to be in the hospital for several days. Blood draws every six hours. That was awesome. <laughs> Just so great and enjoyable. That night, I was laying there, and I probably slept about 45 minutes, and I began to think about God. I began to think about Christ, and this verse that Paul has written here for us, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain, came into my heart, and I began to consider it deeply for the first time. What did Paul really mean for him to live is Christ and to die is gain? Paul here was not seeking an identity. Paul here is recognizing that Christ is his only identity. And I laid there in that hospital bed thinking, is Christ my only identity? Or do I just proclaim him in the right places? When I go to speak at Nebraska Christian, is he my identity for a couple of hours? And then I drive home on my own plans and agenda. Or does he truly define my life to the point that everything I do as much as humanly possible, because of God's gift of faith and grace in me, do I proclaim Christ this way, that if God lets me live, what implications does that have for my life? Does that mean that my life needs to change compared to when I, before I went to the hospital? Was I doing anything right to proclaim Christ and to die as gain? That was a little bit of a struggle for me. It's never comfortable to watch someone cry, is it? It's really uncomfortable to watch someone weep. That day, that afternoon that I was admitted, my friend who goes to my same church came and visited me, and he sat down. He's a very intense guy. And he sat down at my bedside, and he said, so how are you doing? I mean, what's God speaking to your heart? I mean, just teach me. Just tell me what's going on. What's God doing? And I just thought, what is God doing? And I just thought, you know, I just can't be strong anymore. And I just wept. You know, in a lot of situations, it's embarrassing to cry in front of a friend when you're a grown man and you're supposed to be mature and strong all the time. But I think God was bringing me to a place where I could not continue in that strength anymore. I think a lot of it was because it was my own strength. So he reminded me to die is gain. How do you reconcile that, having a young family, a wife and four young kids under the age of eight, thinking about if I would have died, their life would have gone on, there would have been grief, and yet 
For me, it would have been gain. I don't know if I've ever been to that point in my life. I'm wondering if God was pointing out, you love your life too much. It's the life I've given you. It's a gift. Do you thank me for every breath? You see, today I'm not going to be able to answer a lot of the questions for you regarding my story because I'm grappling with them. This story is ongoing to the point where daily I'm considering the implications here. The verse goes on in 22 where Paul says, if I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. God would continue producing fruit for his glory through Paul if he lived, yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. He's conflicted here. He actually would prefer to be with Christ, but he's also willing to accept the fact He says he's hard-pressed in the next verse, but he's also willing to accept the fact that if he does continue on living, that he's going to have to be okay with it. Standing here before you, considering my life right now, am I so grateful to God that I would say if I died on the way home today, it would solve the conflict of my life? Would I truly look at that as opportunity to be with my Savior rather than the loss of my life. I have plans. I would prefer to continue living if I had the choice. And yet Paul here is, I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. He just says it. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. He again is thinking of others. He's thinking of the Philippians here. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith to serve them, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. You see, he was very close to the Philippians. He had a very deep relationship with them. They would be excited for him to come visit them again. He says that. They would glory in Christ because he would come to them again. There is a duality here that I continue to struggle with today. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Does this verse cause you struggle? like it does me. I'm thinking you're probably 13 to 18 years old. When I was in middle school and high school, I loved my life because it was identified by all these wonderful external things. You know my testimony a little bit from last year. I was identified by relationships and academics and athletics. That was it for me. I did not identify myself with Christ in all those things, probably likely to the point of neglecting him and shunning him, even though I claim to be a Christian. And yet Paul does such a great job throughout all of Scripture, and there's so many verses, in talking to us about our identity in him. Because what is our life except for an identity grounded in him? I think of Ephesians. You don't need to turn there. Just listen. Chapter 2 Paul is talking here how we are saved by grace through faith alone. And he says in verse 8, For by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. You can't do anything to save yourself. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his, what here? Workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, in him, for good works, There is nevertheless an outpouring 
of action that comes from a life that is truly surrendered to God through faith in Christ. We're not defined by our works, but they result from the work that God does in our heart. These works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. He desires that we do serve him. So back to my hospital bed, I'm thinking, am I serving him in these type of good works because I was created in him because of what God freely chose to do for me in sending his son? Ultimately, this question can only be answered as we look first to our original salvation. Many of you know that I had a powerful, life-changing salvation. It was instantaneous where God, by the mysterious act of his grace, reached down and regenerated my heart, and I was able to see my sin and how opposed to him I was. Through the gift of faith, I responded in repentance, and there was a new creation born that day. I'm so grateful. And because of that salvation, then it talks about the results that I am now his workmanship. My identity is no longer grounded in myself, but only in him. In Romans, it talks about being heirs with Christ. Again, Paul here is identifying us. And he uses that powerful word for. You know from your English classes that the word for means therefore. It always points back to a previous action or information for its conclusion. And Paul has been talking here about living by the Spirit. The Spirit in us is putting to death the deeds of the body, sins, so that we can truly live. And he says in verse 14, chapter 8, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. That is a clear identity. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, a sinful lifestyle, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons. We never made it to that supper to talk about adoption of children because of my hospital stay. And nevertheless, I have to consider the word adoption today as such a powerful reminder of how clearly my identity changed when God looked upon me and saved me, and I became a son. We are his workmanship. We are not slaves. We are now sons by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. We're workmanship. We are sons, and we are children of God. And if we're children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. You see, right there, it begins to answer the question in my heart, for to live is Christ and to die is gain. I am positioned because of an adoption by God to be an heir with Christ. Christ, fully man and fully God, when he was here on earth, I share an inheritance with him. I struggle with that even though I believe it. Christ was the Son of God. He knew no sin, and he asks us to suffer with him in order that we may be glorified with him. Where does this glory point? Christ's glory and anything good that we ultimately do can only be from God to glorify him. 
How is God glorified in taking me through this health situation? A week later, which was just a couple weeks ago, we ended up finally going over to my doctor buddy's house for supper, and he said, hey, do you want to see that CT scan, by the way? And he pulled it up for me on his computer, and I should have refused, but I looked at it anyway. And being the medical expert that I am, had no idea what I was looking at. And so he rotated my chest and showed me the two large arteries going into my lungs. And when they inject you with that dye, it all shows up white, and everything else that's blocked is dark. And so one lung, it was all dark. And I said, how big is that right there? And he said, well, it's about the size of a 50-cent piece. And I said, where's the light? He's like, there isn't any. I said, what does that mean? And he said, there is no oxygenated blood moving here. I said, let's look at the other one, please. And so we looked at my other lung, and there was a dark spot about the size of a 50-cent piece minus two pixels on his computer screen. And I said, what is that little white line right there? And he said, that's life. It's the only thing that was keeping you alive and is the reason that you were in such danger. And I said, so you're not kidding about the airplane? He said, no. I said, I truly am, by the grace of God, fortunate to be alive? And he said, yes. And we left that night, and it was this really foggy night. And we're driving home, and really slow. And I have to be honest with you, young people, I struggled on that drive home, once again considering how God's mercy had shined down on me. But I also began to think about how many other times has God saved my life that I don't even know about? How many close calls have there been in my life where I was completely unaware that his hand was upon me or someone else in a traffic situation perhaps? And that really challenged my belief in a sovereign God. And it reminded me in a very powerful way, I am not in control. I cannot pretend to be strong by anything that I am doing. We can't be defined by our works, although they do result. And so the question is, where is your identity grounded today? I shared with you where my identity was when I was in high school. It was far from Christ. Do you look to others for your identity? Are you defined by sports, clothing, hipster glasses? Are you defined by your grades? I know I was, and that's why I always had to have an A. Do you love your own life for your own sake? And what is all the outcome of this? I want to go back to Philippians and finish quickly. Paul lays out such an encouraging scripture here, which I will end on, and he gives an example of humility that I believe we need to wrestle with on a daily basis. He concludes from the previous section by the word so. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind. I need to think this way. Having the same love, I need to act this way. Being in full accord and of one mind, I need to do this with others. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. This is a great reminder from me. Remember in my testimony, my greatest 
challenge was self. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, what did he do? He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, the most horrific and humiliating death possible. Therefore, because Christ did this for you, God has highly exalted him, verse 9, and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. It's above my name, greatly above my name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I pray that that second night in the hospital, as I wrestled with these things, that when I was praising and worshiping God at about 3 a.m. because I couldn't sleep, I pray that I was confessing this. I pray that I was glorifying God, and I pray that I truly understood that by being allowed to live everything that I do because of what Christ has done for me needs to be in Him and unto Him. The great privilege of that has been that we've been able to open God's Word together this morning. I pray that you've been encouraged in your identity that it comes from nothing external and that if God is allowing you to live today, there is a great purpose for it. Him. He is your purpose today. How will you serve Him today? Let's pray. God, I thank you for the identity that you teach us through Paul's writings, that we are truly your workmanship to do good works. We are sons and heirs with Christ only because of your grace. It was such an amazing gift to me that you freely offered it and that you did a work in my heart. And God, I desire that for each person in this room, that your word would penetrate their hearts, that if there are young people here who have not responded in that gift of faith that you may be impressing upon their heart right now. I pray that today or tonight that you would, through the power of your Holy Spirit, tug on their heart and save many. There is no greater news than what your son did, dying this horrific death. And I thank you so much, God, that it identified Paul, whether he was living or dead, And I pray that it would somehow reflect in my life and the life of these young people who I just pray would go and serve you with no looking back, with no regard to man or judgment, and that their identity would be solely grounded in you. We know that you would hold them there and that you look upon them with your love. Thank you, God, that Your justice and love were satisfied in Christ's death on the cross. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to a message by Jeff Randell with Hidden From View Ministries. If you want to know more about his ministry, you can go to hiddenfromview.com. Well, this wraps up the program today. You've been listening to Truth and Focus. For my co-host, Josh Cumston, this is Gordon Thiessen. Thanks for joining us as we encourage, engage, and equip Christians in today's culture war while bringing the truth in focus.